0: Titus chapter 1. I know it seems like we're moving slow through this book and we are. But you wouldn't think in one little verse there's a lot. There's a lot here. And you know, there's a lot of things that these are not themes that are unique to the book of Titus. But as we teach through the scripture and we come upon these themes, for instance, God's election, um, we don't want to just pass over, we want to talk about these things because they're very important. Um, so today we're going to look at the subject of election. Who are God's elect and how did they become elect? These are questions we're going to talk about today. Titus chapter 1 verse 1, let me read it again. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, illuminate your word to us. We thank you for the grace that's been given to us in Jesus Christ to be called God's elect. Father, open our hearts and our minds and break down any barriers or any hindrances that may be within us that are contrary to who you are and your salvation. Lord, in our humanness and in our sinful human nature that desires control and desires to be the one that calls the shots, Father, help us to be submitted and surrendered to you trusting you in all things, knowing that you are the sovereign over all. We thank you for that sovereign grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, this little phrase here in the first verse, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, we spent last week talking about that. And then he says, according to the faith of God's elect, according to the faith of God's elect. Some translations read for the faith of God's elect or for the sake of the faith of God's elect. My new King James says, according to the faith of God's elect. However that is translated, it's not one is correct and one's not. They both, all of those translations are ultimately conveying the same message. The phrase, according to the faith of God's elect, is not expressing the standard by which Paul became or was appointed an apostle, but it is conveying the aim or the destination of his apostleship. It's not telling us by what standard he was appointed. It's really telling us why he was appointed. He was appointed for the sake of the faith of God's elect. In other words, Paul was appointed an apostle with the faith of God's elect being the object in view. Paul lived and preached the gospel to see the faith of God's elect become established both individually and corporately in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The faith of God's elect is in this room today. It's in you personally. It's in this room corporately as we have assembled together here as the body of Christ. And what we're talking about is the faith that has been gifted to you By grace in Jesus Christ. It is the faith of God's elect. The faith of the elect that was the object of Paul's apostleship is bound up in Christ. Because Christ is the object of our faith. So the faith of the elect is the true faith in the true and living Christ. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in your ability. It's not faith in your faith. When I was in the prosperity gospel and the name-it-and-claim-it word-of-faith gospel, really and truly the object of our faith was our faith. Did I have enough faith in my faith to believe that I could get from God what I wanted, what I needed, what I desired? If I had enough faith, I was taught I could do it. If I had enough faith, I could have anything I wanted, obviously within the goodness of God that wasn't sinful, but if I had enough faith, I could receive it, whether it's my healing or lots of money, but that's not what the Bible teaches, because our faith is not in our faith, our faith is in Christ, and He's sovereign, and He's Lord, and we pray for healing every week in this church, and we've had testimonies of God's healing And we should pray for healing, and we should believe for healing. But your healing doesn't come because of your faith. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have faith. You should have faith. You should have faith in God that he is more than able to heal because nothing's impossible to him. But ultimately, healing comes because God wills it. And sometimes we pray for healing, and we will for healing, And God grants it in his grace. Sometimes he does not. But it's not us who makes that determination. So I always pray for healing. I always believe for healing until there's no further reason for me to pray for that and believe for that. Which is usually when the Lord has called someone home. Then I know they're experiencing their healing. So our faith is in Christ. Christ is the object of our faith. The reality of the faith of the elect implies the reality of a false faith of those not elect. So false faith is faith that's not centered in Christ. When I have faith in my faith, that's false faith. That's not true faith. That's not the faith of the elect because the faith of the elect is faith in Christ. Colossians 3:12 through 17 As the elect of God, you're to walk according to the faith that holds Christ as the object of your trust. So Christ is the object of our faith. It's Christ who saves us. If we are God's elect, we are to walk as his elect. So in Colossians 3 chapter 2 through Uh, Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Listen to the exhortation from the Apostle Paul to the elect of God. Paul writes, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here is the faith of God's elect, and here is the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. That's what Paul just described in those verses from Colossians. That is truth that accords with godliness. If we profess to be or to have faith in Christ, then that is going to be worked out and made manifest through our life, through the truth that accords with godliness. The faith of God's elect is an acknowledgment of the truth which accords with a life of godliness as described in the verses I just read to you. Above all of that, above all things, as God's elect, you are to put on love, the Scripture teaches us. Above all things, put on love, which is called the bond of perfection. Love is the fulfillment of the commandments. Love is the remedy for fear. Love is the defining characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the bond of perfection. Love never fails. God is love. God never fails. God never fails to do and to accomplish all His will and all His purpose for His elect in love. We understand that Paul's apostleship was according to or corresponding to the standard of faith set for God's elect. The same could be said for our own lives. The faith of the elect is an acknowledgment of the truth which accords with godliness. Faith is proved through the life of God's elect as it is made manifest through the actions or the works in our life. Your life proves the faith of God's elect as that life, as that faith is walked out and worked out. Your life should look more like the one you profess to trust in than not. This is how you and I are to live and move and have our being in Christ, according to the faith and standard of God's elect. The aim and proof of your faith as God's elect is conformity to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, conforming us more and more closely to the image of Christ. And as we have talked about the faith of God's elect, we need to talk about the ones that faith has been given to. His elect ones. The subject of God's elect is important for every believer to understand. It is important not because it speaks of us, but because it speaks of the very truth and nature of God himself. So, let's talk about God's elect. To speak of God's elect is to speak of God's sovereign and infinite grace. Our election in Christ speaks of His work alone and nothing of our own. I'm going to say that again. Our election in Christ speaks of His work alone and nothing of our own. To speak of God's elect is to speak of His perfect love for those chosen in him before the creation itself. To speak of God's elect is to speak of his eternal mercy, his infinite justice, and his exceeding glory. Who are God's elect? Well, if you were listening to my talk with the children, you probably already have a clue. God's elect are those he has foreordained and chosen before the foundation of the world, to be his children in Christ. Or we could simply say it like this. God's elect are God's chosen ones. One of the most beautiful pictures of God's sovereign love for his elect is given to us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church words written for us today as God's chosen ones. The ground of every spiritual blessing we are blessed with is found in that phrase, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. The foundation of every blessing we are blessed with begins with being sovereignly chosen in Him before creation, to become his very own children by Jesus Christ. Well, if God's elect are God's chosen ones, how does one become God's elect? Becoming God's elect is completely the work of God. There is nothing of us in that work. This is the work of salvation that belongs solely and completely to God. When did God choose you? The Bible says He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. That means it was long before you were created. Long before anything was created. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Peter writes, Elect... According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. This is the introduction in his letter. And he's addressing those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, here we see three steps taken by the triune God in saving a sinner. The question is: how does one become elect? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 gives us gives us the picture. First, you are chosen by the Father, literally, that word chosen means you were literally chosen selected out of all mankind in a total action of His grace according to His foreknowledge. Second, the Holy Spirit brings you to a living, active, and obedient faith in Christ. You didn't bring yourself. The Spirit of God brought you. He brought you to faith in Christ. And third. That faith brought to you by the Holy Spirit is met with the act of God the Son cleansing you with His blood. Now, that's a very simplistic way of answering the question, how does one become God's elect? And we can take and we can see the actions of the triune God in those three steps I just laid out for you, but you understand God's not up in heaven making sure he got step one, step two, and step three done. What I'm telling you is this is the work of God. Your salvation is the work of God. God did it. He did it. Foreknowledge. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge is foreordination. What God foreknows is what God foreordains. Foreordaining love is described in First Peter chapter one verse twenty, is inseparable from God's foreknowledge and is the origin and pattern from which election takes place. 1 Peter chapter one verse twenty says, "He indeed, speaking of Christ, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was." manifest in these last times for you. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, Peter is stating that Christ was foreordained to save us before creation. It was foreordained or predetermined in the Father's love to send His Son to make Him manifest in these last times for our salvation. What was foreknown by God was foreordained by God. We're talking about God's elect and how you become God's elect. God's predetermined purpose and foreknowledge concerning Christ were brought together in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, with Peter declaring these words from Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter declares, him, speaking of Christ, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death. Peter declares that Jesus Christ was delivered into lawless hands and crucified and put to death by the predetermined purpose of, and foreknowledge of God. It was God's plan. God has saved you in Christ by his predetermined purpose and foreknowledge. It was God's plan. God's foreknowledge is not the perception of any ground of action out of himself. That's a quote from Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Let me say that again. God's foreknowledge is not the perception of any ground of action out of himself. Let me put that in layman's terms. In other words, God's foreknowledge and so his foreordination of our salvation has nothing to do with us or any other thing outside of himself. He alone is the author and the finisher of our faith. God's elect are saved by God's grace, not by anything in or of themselves. So think of it this way. God does not choose us because he sees that we will one day choose him. That's what you very often have people say. Well, foreknowledge is... God choosing us because in his foreknowledge, he saw that we would choose him. The problem with that is that's just not what the Bible teaches. It's not. That's what human beings, by default, in their sin nature, believe. Because human beings want to ultimately be in control. That was Adam's problem in the garden. He didn't believe God. He believed himself. Eve, the Bible says, Paul says Eve was deceived, but Adam was just plain old rebellious. God's elect are chosen for salvation by God as an act of sheer sovereign grace. God's elect are predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to To the good pleasure of his will, Paul writes. Paul goes on in that letter and says, not of works lest any man should boast. You have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not of works. It's the gift of God. So that no man will ever boast, not even in the fact that he chose God. Because we don't choose God. God chooses us. There is none righteous, there is none who seeks after God, Romans 3 says. Well, then how did we get here? Because God sought after us. That's how we got here. That's how you're here today, because God sought after you. It's good news. Your salvation in Christ is completely other than anything known in you or about you. God chose the one he wills to save according to his good pleasure. Paul clearly expresses this truth about our salvation in Christ to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Christ who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? After God saw that we would choose him. No. Given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul expresses it more fully in his letter to the Romans, Romans 8:29 through 33. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see the past tense language here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who did he foreknow? Who did he predestine? Who did he conform? Who did he glorify, justify? God's elect. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Paul says it is God who justifies. In other words... There is no one that shall bring a charge against God's elect. There is no one that shall bring a charge against you. As God's elect, it is God who justifies you in Jesus Christ. As God's elect, the Father chose you in Him for faith in Christ. The Spirit brings you irresistibly to faith in Christ. And Christ completely cleanses you by His blood... And raises you up in his life to walk by faith in Christ. Who are God's elect? You. You are God's elect. By the act of his sovereign grace through the gift of faith in Jesus Christ quote the Apostle Paul, as God's elect, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This is the work of God, and no other will have the glory for it. The truth concerning God's elect is a truth we are to have knowledge of and live by. We are to walk in the knowledge of the truth according to the faith of God's elect. In fact, we're not just to walk according to the standard of faith set for God's elect. We are to endure all things for the sake of God's elect. Paul wrote to Timothy about enduring. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In Paul's words to Timothy, we see that Paul had in view the faith of the elect as he endured all things for their sake. He did this that they might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's not that Paul knew all who were God's elect. It's that he did all for those who were and are God's elect. We preach the gospel to all with endurance, not because we know all who are elect, but because we know that the gospel will save all who are elect. This is why you are commanded to preach and teach And make the gospel known to all through word and through deed and to do it with endurance. Do it enduring all things. Let me quote to you from the Encyclopedia of Bible Words by Lawrence O. Richards. I thought this was a really great quote. To kind of put in perspective this whole truth about God's election and God's sovereign grace and God choosing us in Him before the foundation of the world. And we want to say, well, well, don't don't I have a choice in this matter? And I would simply ask you, are you willfully loving God? Are you willfully serving God? Did you willfully, by choice or by compulsion, come to this place today to worship God? I'm going to guess you willfully did. Hopefully, joyfully. Yes, you have choices to make, but let's not confuse that with God's sovereignty. To quote Mr. Richards, quote, Long before the first man and woman looked around at God's fresh creation, God conceived, planned, and provided for a wondrous salvation for His church. This salvation is a work of God alone. It is rooted in his character of love and in his purposes. We human beings are simply the recipients of a free gift prepared for us before we existed. The stress in the New Testament on God's choices linked as they are with salvation teaches us that we must seek to understand salvation Listen, this is very important. We must seek to understand salvation in terms of God alone. We can never explain salvation by looking at human actions or choices. We can explain salvation only by discovery of the loving heart and costly grace of our matchless God, end quote. And I think what Mr. Richards is accurately pointing out is the problem most people have with the doctrine of election and God's sovereign grace and salvation is is that they try to explain salvation by looking at human actions and human choices and you just can't do that. It doesn't work that way. As we're learning in our Sunday school, as we talked about today, because God is other than who we are and what we are. We can never even begin to understand God's salvation by viewing it from a human perspective. The only way we can ever begin to understand salvation is in terms of God alone. As we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will continue our discovery of the loving heart and costly grace of our matchless God. As Paul was, so we are bondservants, slaves, if you will, slaves of God and disciples of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is in accordance with godliness. You are God's elect, and you are elect because God chose you as a sovereign work, as a sovereign act of His grace. And we are to be thankful for that. We are to rejoice in that. That The knowledge of that grace, if anything, makes us more humble, more reliant, more compliant with who God is. His plan his purpose, and his salvation, that he purposed and ordained before creation. That is amazing good news. This is by God's grace alone, and we celebrate his grace each week that we come to his table. And when we come to this table and we proclaim the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, we are to proclaim that with an understanding that His body was offered and His blood was poured out because of His grace. It wasn't because of anything God saw in us that His son was worth dying for because there is nothing in us That was worth the life of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus, his body and his blood, is a complete work of grace. It's a complete act of love born out of the grace of God. And whatever we are, as Paul the Apostle said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Whatever is in us now, There is much good in us if we think about the Holy Spirit being in us. But that goodness is not ours. It's not a goodness we can claim for ourselves. It's not a goodness that comes from ourselves. It is a goodness from God poured into us by His grace. So church, come and celebrate the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Welcome to His table welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. We ask the question, who is God's elect? And the answer is you are God's elect by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As God's elect, you and I are to live according to and by the faith of God's elect. You are to live with and in the knowledge of the truth allowing that truth to inform and guide your life through the Word of God and the power of His Holy Spirit living in you. Your life in the truth is to be in accordance with godliness. As God's elect, you and I are called to live out the faith and the knowledge of the truth according to godliness. We are to do that boldly, speaking and living the truth in love. You are God's elect. You are chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before creation itself for such a time as this. You are not here today in this church or in this world at this time by accident. You are hearing these words by divine appointment. You are God's elect by divine appointment. And if you are not now, then trust in Jesus. And if you do trust in Jesus, then know that you are God's elect and live accordingly for your good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Now go live your faith. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.